This is Terry Woods, and I'm with Texas Storytellers. Today, we are brought to you, as always, by Woodlands Online and their Roku station, KVQT21, where you can actually watch us. Or you can see us on Facebook. You can hear us on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, or anywhere else you get a podcast. And please do, because we have another interesting story to tell today. With me today, uh, I have next to me, Kathy Garcia Pratz. She wrote the book, Good Families Don't Just Happen. Last week, I started telling you stories about big families, including the one I belong to. In my family, there were eight kids and a wonderful mom and dad. I'm telling you, my mom and dad, I don't know how they did things sometimes. My dad uh, was, we lived in Buffalo, New York, and my dad was uh, part of the Teamsters Union. So that meant he worked about nine months out of the year and he was on strike the rest of the time. So we had quite an interesting time in our household. We never knew there was any problem with money. And I think big families know that too. We just lived the way that we lived. We had what we had. We worked together. We collaborated. And living in a big family was quite awesome. I have um, six sisters and a brother, all grown. I have nieces and nephews and great nieces and great nephews. Of course, I have my own two sons and grandchildren as well. But this is not about me. It's about Kathy. So I'm going to let Kathy introduce herself and tell you more about her book. Hi, Kathy. Hi. Good morning. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hi. I'm Kathy Musco is my maiden name, Garcia Pratz. Um, my husband, Joe, is Joseph Garcia Pratz. Uh, we've been married 47 years, um, and God has blessed us with, with our 10 sons. Um, my story is kind of an interesting story. You know, I grew up um, in a family of five girls. I have no brothers. Uh, my dad was in the Navy, um, and so I traveled all over the world as we moved from one country to another, to one city to another. Uh, finished high school in Virginia and ended up in uh, New Orleans, where I went to Loyola University um, and got a Bachelor of Science degree in elementary education. Um, my husband, Joe, is from El Paso. Uh, he did his undergraduate work at Loyola, and then he ended up um, attending Tulane University and um, Tulane Medical School, excuse me, and got his medical degree. Uh, then he ended up coming to Houston to uh, pursue a pediatric residency, and then eventually a neonatology fellowship. Um, we met in New Orleans and um, got married a few years later. So I actually, uh, people say, did you get married right out of college? Well, I graduated on a Monday, had rehearsal on Tuesday, got married on a Wednesday, uh, and ended up in Houston on Friday. So uh, started out on fast forward, and we are sure we're kind of getting closer to that little pause button um, than we were many years ago. Uh, I taught school for the first couple of years. Uh, Joe finished his training in uh, neonatology and stayed on at Baylor College of Medicine. He's presently professor of pediatrics and in the Department of Ethics as well. Um, he's, he's the director of the uh, Arnold J. Rudolph 
neonatal group at Bentob. So he primarily, his administration and clinical work is at the Bentob General Hospital. I taught school. Go ahead. Question? Well, you know, I, well, I kind of have a question and a comment. I um, also came to, to Houston, obviously, since I was brought up in Buffalo, New York, but uh, brought the family to, to Houston, Texas, which I thought was a foreign country at the time. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Um, but we're still here and, and loving it very much. And, but the first few years was a bunch of adaptation. Was it the same way for you? Um, actually, because I think I'd lived all over the place and moved every two or three years that, you know, adapting um, wasn't probably as difficult. I always say when I, when I took off from Northern Virginia, where I went to high school, down to New Orleans, that felt like more of going to a foreign country where they, they ate very differently. You know, back then, you know, I had never heard of gumbo and eating crawfish and, you know, things like that. And they talked a little funny, I thought. Um, so that was probably a bigger transition than coming to Houston. Um, and I, I assumed, you know, Joe would finish his training and we'd kind of find a smaller town to move to. But, you know, his career took a different path. Um, he being in neonatology and um, intensive care, Houston was a good fit. Um, and we feel blessed. We made it our home. I've been in our home for this home that we're in now 44 years um, so, you know, a long time we had to add on, we, the contractor called it our dorm. And so we added on two bedrooms and a bath upstairs and, uh, it's, it's our home. It became our home, uh, cozy home. Uh, it's not one of these, you know, seven, 8,000 square foot homes. It's, it's a normal home. We're in Southwest Houston and, um, great location for Joe to get back and forth to work and where our schools were. So, uh, yeah, we. Houston's home, Houston's become home. I'm a Texan, uh, my mother originally from Rhode Island and so she's a New Englander. And I think she gasped the first time I said I was, I was more a Texan than a New Englander. And, uh, but we are, we're, we're in Texas and all our boys have uh, grown up here, grown up here. And then they spread their wings, you know, so. And that's awesome. Could you stop for a second and let us know what neonatology is? Sure. So neonatology is a um, is care of the critically ill newborn. So after a baby is born, if the baby is either premature or has had other um, medical issues, the a neonatologist steps in to care for that for that baby. So it's a you know a lot of transitions in the in the forty years we've been been married to see how far they've come in being able to um, provide wonderful care for those, for those babies and their families. Remarkable. Yeah. And, you know, having 10 sons, I've noticed um, looking at your books and, and knowing you at least a smidge, um, that you've done an awful lot of things in your lifetime besides bring up children. Right, right. Um, well, you know, once I stayed home after, after we had the first couple kids, um, I, you you feel a need to do other things and um, out kind of outside of being mom. And um, my my first kind of outside activity was actually a volunteer position at the, at our church. Um, I was an aide as part of the preschool 
uh, Sunday school program. And it was good. It kind of gave me a little something. Uh, if Joe was working, they had a nursery to put the, the boys in um, to care for them that, that little hour that I was gone. And I gradually, you know, then they said, oh, become a teacher. I came to teacher. And then will you help coordinate that program? And, and so that's how I, I started kind of getting a little bit involved. Um, then once your children are in school, you know, it was, it was fun to be able to volunteer as I could. Um, hard part was, you know, who's going to take care of the younger kids if I'm up at, up at school. Um, so that became sometimes an issue, but I had a, a wonderful neighbor sometimes who would say, well, here, I'll take care of the kids and you go, you go do that. Cause she knew how important that was for her. Um, and then gradually I, I got involved in some other activities and, but as I tell people, they said, oh, you've done so much. I didn't do it all at once. I, I knew what my time commitments were. I knew what my, my primary commitment was, which was to Joe and the boys and our family. Um, but it was also a way to kind of enrich my life in different ways uh, and get involved in, in issues and in ways that were important to me. Women's health, for example. I feel so important that women take care of themselves and got involved at the women's hospital at the time. Um, they had a foundation and um, got involved in that issue, especially breast cancer and, and breast care. And then from there, I got involved in, in mostly the schools. Um, and then the other one was Family Houston, which is um, another nonprofit organization here that does family support and counseling and um, just a fabulous organization. It's about 105 years old. Uh, so I served on their board and am still on their foundation board. So then, you know, the schools were pro probably my biggest investment of time um, and, and loved it. You know, I, I, I know last week you mentioned, you know, my involvement as Mother's Club president at Straight Jesuit. It's kind of an interesting story because traditionally you are not invited to serve as president of the Mother's Club until your youngest son is a senior. So <laughs> it took me 22 years <laughs> to reach that point. Oh, and it, it was, and it was one of the most, wonderful years of my life. I met wonderful women. Uh, it was such a good, good thing to be involved in. Um, absolutely was a, was a great gift that I was invited to serve as president. So, um, and it was kind of, it kind of capitalized that 22 years. So we were there literally 22 consecutive years um, at Straight Jesuit. So people still, I think, know the name um, or they've heard They've heard of this lady and her husband who had 10 sons um, go through the school. And, and then, you know, after, after the boys um, started going off, Timmy graduated and went off to college. It was, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do now? And I had, you know, I had different ideas. Um, but then this opportunity to get involved at this new school that would open in the Gulfton area of Houston that would serve uh, the low income families. It's based on a national model called Nativity Miguel. And uh, they tend to serve low income families. They're faith-based and non-tuition or very low tuition. And, uh, and so this opportunity came to open, open this school in Houston uh, with a small group of us that um, we're kind of a founding board and then we've expanded. We were fortunate to find some property in the Gulfton area. And uh, it's a three-story building. Uh, it was a former 
former school building that um, had turned into a uh, charter school that ended up moving out and we took over, needed a lot of renovation. And so we started just with pre-K three students, 20 students, and we've added a grade each year. They're primarily um, low income. They're immigrant refugee families. Uh, primary language is not English. We have multi-languages since they're refugee families as well as immigrant families. And by starting with three-year-olds, you give them a chance to kind of catch up, to get some English skills, some structure, uh, you know, those, those primary skills that we often take for granted um, those of us who are teachers or have been, you know, educated and take advantage. Um, so we've been trying to provide that opportunity to these children and their families. So we're up to second grade. It's wonderful to see what we're, what we're accomplishing. Um, COVID, of course, was a struggle for their fa our families since they don't have internet and, and hotspots and all those things. But we accommodated and started back in October in person. So, um, yeah, I know you had an opportunity to come come visit when you were on the accreditation team and uh, kind of reconnected, if as you said. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so that's that's where I spend a lot of my time um, these days. My um, uh, friend and uh, colleague uh, Francie Roberts, uh, we uh, we were on a accreditation team yesterday. And we talked about you and the school because it was the last school before all the schools shut down. Yeah, we were fortunate. <laughs> it was the last place we traveled to. It was in February of last, yeah, 20, 2020, I guess. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, we talked about the school and how much we loved being there. And, and there was a bakery. It was a little strip center that we had parked in because we were early. And uh, there was a bakery there, an uh, Arandas uh, uh -huh. type of bakery where you get the tray and you <laughs> get all your stuff and have a ball, have a feast. And so uh, we uh, had talked about that and we talked about the, the day at the school because we truly enjoyed the school. And I've worked in um, early childhood for a number of years. So I know the importance of working with three-year-olds and four-year-olds, especially if you're not sure where they're going to get their education from, yeah. you know, they're like little tiny sponges and they learn so much so quickly when, when they're in a year like that. Yeah. So, yeah. But, and one of the things about this model, the Nativity Miguel model, they've been around since the seventies. They started up in New York, primarily middle school, but now they're recognizing the need to start at a younger age. But one of the things, one of the components of this model is the parental aspect of it, you know, helping, number one, they have to buy into the system. You know, we sign a contract with them. This is what you should expect from us. And this is what we expect from you. But it's, it's helping them because if we help them become better individuals, then it impacts their family. So we provide ESL and parenting classes on how to read to your children, how to discipline, positive discipline. Um, we provide nutritional meals for them. Um, you know, we've, we've just been able to collaborate with many organizations to not only help our students, but help their families because it's, it's really a family unit. What we as parents do at home and with our children has a tremendous impact on their, their ability to move forward and, and become who they have the potential to be. Um, I believe that 
was what drove us, Joe and I, in our family, um, realizing that it's not always, you know, what's, what's wrong with our kids today? Um, I like to say it's what's wrong with the adults in our children's lives that really has an impact on, on who and what they are, what they hear at home, what they do at home, what they're allowed to see and, and hear at home. It has an impact on your, on your children. I said, you were, we're naive to think that watching violent shows and hearing foul language and, and um, all of that doesn't have an impact on, on who we are. Well, that's absolutely true. Yeah. I know that uh, growing up in, in a, a large family myself and my son, my youngest son has five children, which is in its own way, a very large family for him. Um, he, it, I think that you do learn, you learn. And, and the biggest thing that you learn is part of being a family unit is the cooperation and the collaboration that goes along with it. In my family, there were seven girls. So Many times people would ask my dad, how are you going to take care of all those girls? And he always said, my girls are going to be independent. They're going to be able to take care of themselves. They're going to have their own goals. And I'm going to give each one of them a ladder and a suitcase. <laughs> my dad didn't go that far, but close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's and considering the times that I grew up in, that was quite remarkable for, for my dad, but he was a very special man. And my mom was a very, very special woman. And they took on all of their tasks as joys. Right. My, my mom volunteered quite a bit. She was one of the uh, uh, first women in her neighborhood to be part of the League of Women Voters, for example. And she used to take us in buggies and whatever um, with her when she did the March of Dimes walk, which was something that was done yearly a long, long time ago. Yeah. It's done in different ways now. But we're not here to talk about that or the little school. We're here to talk about your book. Yeah. So, yeah. Or all the books that you've written. So if you could um, clue us in. So, you know, I never dreamed of writing writing a book. I guess if I had a dream, it would have been to have written a children's book because children's lit to me is, is so powerful. Um, and I still, I still keep up with it um, in, these, in these days. I have to read a little bit of children's novels and then sometimes uh, adult and some, you know, I have to kind of mix it up um, in today's world. But, you know, this all kind of came about when, after we had our son, Timmy, um, it was our 10th son, which is very unusual, number one, to have 10 children and then to have all of the same gender. Um, the, the Houston Post kind of picked up on this story uh, through the daughter of one of our son's teachers. And, um, and so she called and asked if she could do a story on our family. Uh, we were a little leery only because sometimes uh, the media is not very kind to large families. And so we, we thought about it and then knowing kind of the contact we agreed. Well, in, in today's world, the story went viral. It was in the, the old Houston Post, the former Houston Post and came out in 90, oh, I'm gonna blank. I think 94, cause Timmy was still, still very little. And the story literally went viral. Um, the people were sending it to, to their siblings in other states and then out of the blue, some. So this mother calls and asks me to speak um, at her at her church group, 
And I'm kind of chuckling. I said, I don't do that. I'm not a public speaker. I, I'm a mom. Um, but she was pretty persistent and asked if I would just come and answer questions. You know, could they just ask me questions? Uh, so I said, okay. Uh, it was kind of a brown bag luncheon kind of thing with this group of moms. Um, they had a podium for me. And I said, no, thank you. I'll just sit at the table with everyone else. Well, four hours later, after asking questions and asking and answering questions, um, the, the daycare person said, I have to leave. So you're gonna have to come get your kids. And that's, that's actually how things started. I, other people started asking me to speak. Um, and then everyone's, you need to write a book. And I'm thinking, I have 10 kids. Um, and that's the, the kind of, I'll, I'll call it in my spare time. Um, and, but then I, I felt that God was calling us to share what, what we were doing, how we were raising the boys, you know, what worked for us, that we were joy, we were joy filled. I loved being a mom. I loved what I was doing. That didn't minimize the hard work and the, the, the meals and the wash and all those things that, that accompany being a, being a parent. Uh, but when you do things out of love, then it makes all the difference in the world. You know, I like to quote St. Paul's uh, letter to the Corinthians, where he says, you know, if you if you uh, don't have have or if you have faith enough to move mountains, but don't have love, um, it means nothing. You can give everything you have to the poor. But if you don't have aren't doing it with love, it means nothing. So to me, it meant I could be doing all this wash and cooking all these meals and getting their homework done and all those things. But if I'm not doing it out of love, then in the eyes of God, especially, it means nothing. Um, and that changes your attitude. You, you begin doing these things, these mundane everyday activities with a different attitude and approach. And I think it sends a message to your children that they're not a burden, they're a joy in your life. Um, and I learned that from teaching as well. Those parents who literally um, were, were treated their children as the joy in their life and not the burdens. Oh, we have to do this and we had to do that. And, um, you know, your kids pick that up. And I want, I wanted our sons, we wanted our sons to know they were loved for who they were. So that's how the, the, the first book came about. Um, and uh, of course, it's getting it published. I had a wonderful agent out of Austin, Jim Horn Fisher. Um, still connected. We've been connected through this through this uh, COVID experience, um, and and so we've stayed connected. Anyway, he um, he helped us get it published, and then but eventually uh, we started our own publishing company. It's called Bosco Publishing. Actually, after Saint John Bosco, who was um, a teacher and an educator, and very much into um, treating. He actually put emphasis more on the teachers than he did on the children. Had high expectations for who you are and what you do. Um, and anyway, that's how we got that. Uh, but the book kind of took off. Um, we were amazed. We were invited to be on, on Oprah and Gail King. Um, different papers started writing stories. The Ladies Home Journal did a story on our, on our family. Um, and so it's, it, was, it was positive parenting. The book, I don't think it, I will say it's not rocket science. It's basic, basic type of um, philosophy, I guess you could say. We all say our mantra is, is love, respect, 
commitment and faith. And, you know, love starts with actually your, your self-love. Um, and I'm not, you got to be careful. It's not selfish love. It's self-love. You have to appreciate that you too are a unique individual made by God and that you have your uniqueness and your abilities um, in and of itself. And uh, Joe and I had to appreciate that. We have different cultures. Joe's of a Mexican Spanish background. I'm from an Irish Italian family. Uh, a lot in common, but a lot of differences that we, we realized more after we got married than before uh, that we had to kind of work out. But you know, he has his strengths, I have mine. He has his little persnickety type of things and I have mine. Um, and so, you know, we, we look at our differences not as, as something that pulls us apart, but actually sometimes as things that bring us together and make us stronger. Um, so if we were exactly the same, we would have a lot of gaps to fill. And uh, this way we, we kind of enrich each other and enhance each other in what we do. Um, and so love a self, but then, you know, love, when you love someone, you want what to help them to become that better person. And so the choices you make and the decisions you make day in and day out have to have an impact on making that other person better as well as yourself. And so, you know, that, that became, you know, uh, the choices that I started to make, whether it was deciding to stay home. I love teaching. I loved, you know, being, being in the classroom and having an impact on the children. Um, but I also worried with, especially with Joe's hours, no family in town, how would, how would I be able to do, do it all? Um, I admire those that do and have done it. I see it with my daughters-in-law. Um, but I, I worried about being able to do that. And so I, I stayed home. And then as I had you know, the children in, in pretty rapid succession, it became, it became more of, a, of something that I, I knew that was probably in the best interest of our family. But then it was, you know, you look at your children and each of them are the unique individuals that God, God made them. Um, and then it was, it was helping them to become the best that they could be not the best, which is what we get confused in society. Society often, you know, wants our child to be the best, not their best. And there's a difference in that. Um, and so our, our sons, we have 10 unique individuals. Um, they're very similar in some ways. They get along beautifully, but they, they knew that they were loved for who they are. Um, you know, some of them are gifted intellectually. Um, all of them did well, but some at a much higher level than others. Uh, and, and so the expectation wasn't that they all achieve at that high, high level. They were to achieve at their best level. Um, athletically, you know, we had three of the boys that played college soccer. Uh, Tony swam in college, um, but they all didn't choose to do that. Um, they were all well, nine of the 10 were very accomplished soccer players, but those a couple others were gifted a little in, in maybe a little stronger in their athletic abilities. Um, some of them were very gifted socially. They were able to, to relate to other people. Um, you know, so it, it's been fun to, to see that uniqueness and celebrate. Joe always uses that word. We celebrated the gifts that each of our sons had. Um, you know, just to kind of kind of give you an idea, all 10 of them went to different, 10 different universities. People thought we were crazy 
but each one of them had unique talents and needs and majors that they wanted to pursue. And so each of them found a university college that met their needs. Um, and then we knew that and we told them, you know, we're going to do our part, but you have to do your part. And so, you know, they got scholarships, they got grants, uh, they did work study, uh, they all kind of did their part in in making that happen. Um, yeah, there were times when a university was not a fit because we couldn't financially afford that university. Um, they accepted that. They knew that, you know, it was kind of the way it was. Um, and I don't think any of them resented that. You just had to, it was reality and, and, uh, and you, you went forward with it. You know, we didn't buy cars for all the boys. I mean, people would say, well, how do you afford cars? We didn't, we had a third, we had a third car um, once Tony started driving and, um, but they shared that. It was a, a shared car and they went off to university without cars. Uh, they all seemed to survive. Uh, they got the cars on their own once they finished, finished school. So it was, it was, uh, yeah, we don't, like I said, I don't think it's, it's rocket science. Um, it's commitment. It's consistency. I know last week you talked about consistency. And I think that is something that we as parents don't follow through on. We say, or we, we make, you'll never do that again. Well, you can't say never gonna do that again because unless it's really something illegal or immoral, um, the never could stand in there, but that's not usually the case. And so it's realistic um, expectations and discipline and what you do. We often say we didn't give them three strikes. Um, we, we said, this is what needs to be done. If they didn't do it, then there was usually a consequence. And you know, I think our young people learn you know, from that. Um, we supported the schools when there were discipline, things that happened at the school. Um, we, we laugh at some of them. Um, you know, we tell, we tell one story. I had been out with the principal at the school. This was in um, the elementary school. The, the boys all went to St. Francis de Sales over in Southwest Houston. And the principal and I had gone to something together and I'd commented on, oh, you know, sometimes I just worry, you know, about, about some of the boys, you know, that they'll make the right decisions. And, oh, Kathy, they're just fine. They're just fine. Um, so we get back to school, you know, I dropped her off and I went home and a little while later, I get a phone call from her and she said, you know how we were talking this afternoon, this morning? And I said, yeah, she says, well, we had a little, we had a little incident today. Um, and I said, okay. Um, and so anyway, some of the boys, uh, I think they were in fifth grade, um, had been in the bathroom and they were having a spitball contest and of course got called. And so she said, so I brought them to the office and, you know, they're responsible. They're going to be responsible for helping take care of the bathroom here. But we also asked that they take care of the bathrooms at home. And um, I said, that's, more than fair, we'll follow through. And then she, she tug and she, she said, so I'm sitting there and I'm trying to be very firm. Um, and the principal and I were good friends. Um, anyway, and she said, so I finally, you know, kind of said, well, I wonder who, I wonder which one of you won the contest. And she's, and my son, I did, I did. <laughs> she said, she just thought she would die. Um, but, you know, you follow through with the consequences. You don't, you know, make excuses for them. You, you teach them there are consequences for your actions. And, you know, I think in today's society, we're seeing some of that, you know, people do things, they blame it on others. They don't follow through with their consequences. And we wanted them to learn while they're under our care, um, 
that you make choices. And when you make the wrong choice, you have to deal with those consequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's better to learn it under our care and, and not you know, rescue them. You know, where parents are always rescuing their children. Um, you know, don't rescue them. Stand up for them when something's not right, but don't rescue them when they've made a bad choice. Teach them through it. You don't condemn them. You don't have to yell and scream. You're just firm and, and go forward with them. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with everything that you're saying. And, and I'm so happy to hear you, you say with such conviction that we should follow through because boy, is that the key to everything. But I wonder with everything that, that um, you've done, what I'm wondering is how old is your oldest son? Hi, the oldest is now 45 and our youngest is, let me think, is 27. So yeah, 27. And how many are married? Six are married okay. and uh, some of the young ones are dating, dating um, some very lovely young ladies. Uh, we have 20 wonderful grandchildren. The oldest will turn 16 February 1st. Okay. Um, so he's our oldest. Um, our, we we kind of laugh. Our first two grandchildren were boys. Um, so when, when uh, Rita got pregnant, uh, she would have been with the third grandchild. Um, everyone was kind of worrying, are you ever going to get a girl? <laughs> so, and we did. Gabriella is our first uh, granddaughter. Um, so yeah, we, we just have loved that. And so we're kind of catching up. It's almost, it's almost e- even, even Stephen as far as grandchildren go. So um, yeah, it's been, been fun. You know, I'm learning that girls have more drama um, than boys. So that could be, uh, kind of interesting. I, yeah, I have two sons and, uh, my young son, as as I said, has five children and, um, he has one girl, um, Lydia, who, um, is here helping me with the garage. And, um, uh, my older son has two children and a 24 year old young lady. And it is totally night and day. You get the young ladies together and then you get the boys together. But I brought, I brought up two boys. They're a lot easier. I, I think so too. <laughs> I remember going to, going to church one, one Easter Sunday and, you know, the boys had their, their navy blue jackets and their, their khaki pants. You know, um, some people used to think, are you a boys school? You know, it'd show up with with all the boys. But anyway, this mother showed up with three daughters and she said, it took me probably three times as long to get my girls ready for, for church today than yours, as they had bows in their hair and their pretty dresses. And um, I did chuckle. It is very, very different. Um, but we, you know, we treasured treasure the boys. Um, people used to laugh. I know last week they, you know, are you trying for a girl? And I'd say, no, not really. And at the end, as we had more and more boys, I thought, I do not want to start over um, with number nine and 10. And so we, we kind of chuckle. Um, you know, the, the sisters at St. Agnes were praying for an academy girl. And I'm thinking, oh dear, I'd go back over to Father Brian, the Jesuit and say, you Jesuits better be on your knees praying for another boy. Um, 
But Sister, Sister Jane, finally, she does have a Garcia Press at St. Agnes, um, but it's David, um, our son David, who is the Dean of Academics there this year. And oh, so we, awesome. Yeah, so we chuckled, you finally got a Garcia Press, just not the gender you thought you would get yeah. um, to start with. So uh, yeah, a lot of funny little, little stories, you know, how many at Drake, you know, they'd have had you know, five boys go through and we broke their record, you know, and how dare you break our record? You know, that those kind of stories, um, you know, just just fun, fun stories. And, you know, and that was, I guess that leads us into, you know, your home has to be full of laughter mm -hmm. and fun. And so, you know, you have to, you have to laugh and find fun ways to, to do things and, and be together and, and see that. Um, you know, one of the joys now for me is to see the boys get together and, and how they um, interact. You know, this COVID of course has been very difficult on our, on our family. Um, we did start, we, we had a tradition where we called it pasta night. And so I would make my Italian grandmother's pasta sauce and the family would come home usually on Thursday nights and we would all get together, sit around the big table and laugh. The grandkids, you know, got to interact with their cousins. Uh, the daughters-in-law could chat. The boys were usually talking soccer and stuff. Um, but then COVID hit and, you know, we weren't, you know, out and about and seeing each other. But then when they started drive-by, you could start doing drive-by at restaurants. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, let's do drive-by pasta night. And so I make Thursday, usually Thursday nights, I still make the big, big pot of spaghetti and meatballs and add the pepperoni and uh, they drive by and I put it in containers in a little, little bag and they drive by and pick up their, their pasta sauce. But at least we get to see them. Um, if they get out, you know, they distance and, and see each other. You know, some of the grandkids early on, they couldn't understand why they couldn't get out um, and run around and play. Um, so yeah, so we've, we've kind of, kept that tradition up. It's the ones out of town. You know, we have three up in the kind of the Midwest, you know, Tony's now back from Africa and his family moved back from uh, Cape Town, South Africa. So Tony's a pediatrician and had worked in Africa for 13 years, he and his family. And so they're, they're family, they have four daughters. Um, they're up in Madison, Wisconsin and Joe Pat's in the Chicago area and they have, they have four children they have three boys and a girl. Um, and then Chris is in Decorah, Iowa. He's a the men's soccer coach at Luther College, and they have four girls, and so um, so he and Tony have all all girls. We just chuckle, uh, yeah. Some of the families, you know, the the all girl families, we just chuckle. Um, but they're in Iowa, and so we haven't seen, you know, thank God for Skype and Facetime and all all those wonderful things that we can at least see them see them a little see them, but not be with them. So. Um, we miss that. My parents are 94 and 95 in Northern Virginia, and it's literally been a year since I was last up there. I would go up every couple months and, sure, sure. and spend time with them. And so that's been a struggle. And to see, you know, it's hard. They're 94, 95. Um, Do they yeah. live at home? They, they, we moved them out of their home a few years ago. So they're in a, um, Kind of a senior living independent they're still independent although it's getting harder for mom uh we think we think she has a little bit of dementia and um you know we worry we worry about that and it's hard for dad to take care of 
someone 94 um, when he's 95. So, um, but they're still there, but the facility has assisted living and graduated care. So where we feel good. Uh, one of my sisters lives about an hour and a half away and she goes in at least once a week and she's there for the emergencies and things like that. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. But it's, you know, our, our life has been, you know, if anyone had said you were gonna have 10 children after I came home with Tony, um, I, I tell them I would have gone, gone back to bed and probably never gotten up because I was overwhelmed with that, that first baby. Um, it's, a, it's a totally, oh, it's, hard to, it's hard to prepare for that. And I had been around children. I had babysat and taken care of kids and babies. Um, but when it's a 24 um, seven, it's different. It's very different. And you're, you know, I was physically getting back on, on track as well, my own self. Um, but then, you know, it, it, we got, we had David and then we had, had Chris and, and in many ways it did get easier. I mean, Jamie and Timmy went everywhere within weeks. I was up and about and, and I breastfed all the boys. So, you know, that was easy. You just take them with you. And, um, and they, you know, the younger ones went to basketball games and swim meets and polos, and they were they were in and out and adapted, adapted as we went. Um, they they adored having their brothers. You know, people people often you know would comment on us having ten kids and is this responsible? And um, I said, well, you know, responsible parenting is not defined by how many children you have, but rather what you do with the children you have. Um, if it was based on just number, we would have the most responsible society that's ever walked the face of this earth. And as we all know, that's not the case. Right. Um, and so, you know, um, we never, never had to, we never felt like we had to apologize for our children. Um, they are gifts in our lives. They're, they're not only loved and adored by Joe and I, they have nine brothers that, that treasure them as well. Um, I can say they're, they're friends, they're good friends. Um, mm -hmm. I, always, I always remember Tony at, at David's wedding um, when he was given a toast and he made a comment. He said, you know, I don't know life without David mm -hmm. because, you know, they're only, they're not even a year apart. They're, we always laugh, 360 days apart, Irish twins. Um, and uh, they didn't, they didn't know life without each other. Uh, they were best friends. They, they did things together. They had mutual friends. Um, so, you know, that kind of a, uh, when you see those kind of relationships and love, then it's, it's just a joy. And we see it with cousins now um, when they get together, you know, little Olivia, she's got three brothers. And so when she can get with Chris's family and his girls, you know, she's, she's in heaven. She and Leah are inseparable. So, um, you know, those are the kind of things you, you treasure, treasure and see. You know, just South of you at NASA, there is actually a rocket scientist. His name is Gregory Peck. Oh, okay. Peck also has uh, nine brothers and one sister. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm not sure how he and well, I guess because of NASA and his degree, he ended up in Houston and um, very happy here. His family, his older siblings were um, my generation and his parents were my parents' best friends. Oh, and he talks about his family as if the oldest were like six months younger than him, which is really cool. So I understand that family connection that you're talking about. Um, 
But I was wondering, since we're coming to the kind of the, the end of our discussion, is there part of the book that you'd like to read to us? Um, and, yeah. and which book? I, I'm kind of partial to Good Families Don't Just Happen, but you don't you have three books? We do. We have Good Marriages Don't Just Happen, Good Sons, and Good Families. But I kind of pulled out Good Families. Um, and, and the section, and we kind of talked about it a little bit, was, you know, um, celebrating each child's uniqueness. Oh, I, that would be enjoyable. Because, oh. um, you know, I just, I just think that's so much a part of, of what makes our family work, is that we looked at each of our boys for the unique children they were and, and, and make that happen. Um, so... I'll give you a little, uh, so um, it's called celebrating each child's uniqueness, playing with our children, building blocks, Play-Doh, cars and trucks, puzzles, swings, big wheels, games, swimming, kicking, or throwing the ball shows them we care about them and enjoy being with them. When we are asked, doesn't it get old and boring after a few kids? We have to admit playing Candyland does get old, but we remind ourselves that it's the first time playing the game for this particular son. When we visited the high school open house with Matthew, our fifth son, people would ask and wonder why we were there again, since our older sons either attend or attended the school. We remind them that it may be our fifth time for open house, but it's Matthew's first. One of the reasons each of the boys feels special and not slighted is because we make the effort to make each experience special as it happens for that particular son. We've discovered that because each of the boys is different, usually the experience is different for us as well. We respect each of the boys for who they are, not for who we may want them to be. We teach certain principles and values to all our sons to be responsible, caring, loving, well-educated and respectful of God and his world. We also emphasize that their success and self-worth is measured by who they are, what they do with the gifts God's given them and how they live their lives. We do not pressure them to be a doctor, play a certain sport or march to a certain drummer. They each have God-given talents and must find their own path to follow. The boys know they are loved and respected for who they are. When Joe Pat was in middle school, he wrote an autobiography in it, he stated, I have a good relationship with my parents. They understand my needs and things other people don't. I am not as talented as my brothers in academics, and they understand. They support me and love me. So I'm going to interject here. When this happened, the teachers, when I went to pick them up, someone in the carpool line said, you, can you park and come in? We need to we need to talk to you about something. And of course, you know, being a mom, I'm thinking, okay, now what? What's happened? So mm -hmm. I go in and they said, we want you to, to, to read Joe Pat's autobiography. And of course I start reading it and I get to this part that, you know, um, they love me, you know, they love me for who I am. I mean, I'm, I'm starting, I'm a mom and I'm starting to cry. And the teachers were so cute. We all started crying too, you know? So he understood that, you know, we, we understood maybe he wasn't academically the top one in, in our, in his class or in our family, but he had his own unique gifts and that we loved him for that. Um, 
So, you know, how rewarding is a parent to have your children understand they are loved unconditionally. Tony decided to major in pre-med at St. Louis University, and many people assumed David would do likewise, maybe at Creighton University. But anyone who knows David realized he tolerates math and science. His strengths are writing in the social sciences. And when people used to comment, wouldn't it be easier if they all swam? Because Tony was a swimmer. We would respond, sure, it would be easier. But the other boys enjoy swimming. They love soccer. By respecting each son's interests, abilities, strengths, and personality, we foster strong esteem in our sons. They see themselves valued by us as individuals. We may face scheduling challenges due to their individual interests, but we are rewarded over and over again by their continued successes and self-fulfillment. In his book, Unconditional Love, John Powell, uh, a Jesuit, refers to the words of Viktor Frankl. True self-esteem and a true sense of identity can be found only in the reflected appraisal of those whom we have loved. And so we parents have such an impact on our children, you know, to support them, uh, to make, make them realize they are joys in our lives, not burdens, um, to, you know, take each day as it comes. You know, I tell people, you know, um, you know the days fly by or the years fly by, but not some days were very long. Um, I also was sharing with a mom recently. Um, she said, oh, Kathy, you know, I'd had such a bad day. And I said, you know, I had my bad days when, you know, at the end of the day, I thought, oh, I, I was not the mother I wanted to be. But it was a time to reflect in, in a way that, okay, we want our children to learn from, from their mishaps and their challenges. And it was a time for me to reflect, okay, I didn't handle this in the best way. If this happens again, how will I handle it to make it, make it better? And I learned from those experiences, you know, how do I deal with this? How am I going to move forward? Um, and so I, I think that's, that's who we are. And, you know, I always wondered, you know, 10 sons, God, you know, what is, what is your plan? Um, well, having the 10 sons kind of opened, opened doors for, for us in different ways that I never, I never would have dreamed of. I never dreamed of writing a book. And yet I, I love that process and I love doing what I do. I love now trying to publish. It's been a little more of a challenge, um, kind of getting it all through. But this new book, The, the Legend of the Ladybug, it's just a beautiful story. Um, and it kind of fits into today's world because um, it was set in medieval France during um, a famine. And, and so how this young girl's faith made a difference um, in, in that and then how the ladybug came, came to be. Uh, or how it got its name. Um, beautiful story illustrated by her daughter. Um, so Maria Illich did a, a beautiful job. Uh, it was a challenge. It was a, a, a new challenge, um, but I like challenges, you know? And so even going forward now, um, I've been involved with the Center for Faith and Culture at the University of St. Thomas. And this is their year, they're, they're celebrating the family. And so Joe and I have um, were invited to to be honored at their, their citizenship dinner back in October. But part of that was doing dialogues, kind of similar to what we're doing today um, on different topics. And, and so I've gotten involved in that. And then they're gonna start a graduate program on 
on marriage and family ministry. And so um, they've asked me to be involved in that at a different level. And so a new challenge for me in, in these uh, upcoming years, um, you know, I'm not getting younger, but you know, we're only as, as old as we feel. And so Absolutely. I'm, I'm grateful for that. I miss my, my trainer at the Y. Uh, I had a trainer that I had for three years. Um, so ready to get back to him when things are safe to do so, uh, you know, facing, facing life in, in new and new and exciting ways as, as our family continues to grow and, uh, and they experience new things. So, and you know, and, and what, what has not come out is how integral Joe is to all of this. He's been um, a very dedicated, committed husband and, and father to the boys and grandfather. Um, he's, uh, I know very well respected at, at Baylor and at Benton and Harris County uh, for his efforts there. He's, he's, he's calm, he's the calm and I'm, you know, Joe always says Kathy has passion. So um, that's that's another time when when we there's times for his calmness and there's times for my passion and in how we handle situations. And we've obviously um, kind of figured out how to make that work in over our 47 years of, of marriage. Uh, yeah, so a joy, a joy. Well, I am so glad to hear from you today. I think you need to come back and be a co-host with me sometime soon so that we can introduce your Bosco Publishing Company and find out about that that ladybug and perhaps its author. That would be a tremendous show. Oh, Um, we would love that. I think I would love it too. I have thoroughly enjoyed your books and I always love talking to you. I feel like I need to, to, to just talk to you once a week, just cause you are absolutely wonderful. Oh, and I did want to interject that university of St. Thomas. I I went to, um, I got my ESL certification at university uh, of St. Thomas and they now have a recruiting station um, in Conroe, Texas. So that, that is incredible. That is incredible. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go ahead and tell our listeners goodbye, but, but I hate to end this. This has been a, a, a wonderful conversation. I enjoy your books very much. Your take on families is right up my alley, and I'm sure the same thing for many of our listeners. So um, have a wonderful I- year. success. Um, It has been very fun to reconnect. It has been. It really has been. So I appreciate you inviting me on. um, And I look forward to another time when it works out. I think I think it should work out. Absolutely. Um, To my listeners, I would like to say thank you for listening again. Share this episode. It's very, very important to families and and people in general, especially during our still COVID times. And I'm going to say goodbye. I'm Terry Woods, and I'm here today with Kathy Garcia Pretz. We're Texas Storytellers, brought to you by Woodlands Online. You can watch us at KVQT 21 Roku Station. You can listen to us on iHeartRadio and anywhere else you can find a podcast.
And until next time, goodbye. Mm -hmm.